We are continuing our series, I Quit at Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus is a book that many of us don't ever read. Uh, it is rituals that we don't do, priests that we don't have, some laws that seem kind of irrelevant. Um, it's a strange book, a little bit like how this altar is strange. If you walked in and you saw this altar and thought, well, that's kind of strange. That's actually a good thing because the whole book of Leviticus is kind of strange. But there is a lot it has to say to us. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to Leviticus chapter 3. And then after you turn to Leviticus chapter 3, put your uh, finger there and also turn to chapter 7. We'll be reading from both those places uh, here in a little bit. Um, but just some quick background to Leviticus, some things that help us maybe understand it, put it in context. Uh, we're calling it our Leviticus cheat sheet. Uh, one is that it was written for liberated slaves. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. They were slaves, their parents were slaves, their grandparents were slaves, their great-grandparents were slaves. Slavery was all they knew. And then God shows up and delivers them out of their slavery. And we read about that in the Exodus story, probably the most famous story in the Old Testament. And Leviticus addresses the whole question of, I am a child of God, so now what? Um, God says to the Israelites, you are my son, and that's great news, but there's a question. Okay, I'm a child of God, so now what do I do? Um, all they knew was slavery. Now they're children of God. What does that even mean? Um, and then likewise, we are God's children, and the book of Leviticus can give us insight on what that means for us. Uh, it shows, the book of Leviticus shows children of God how to order their lives. I'm going to talk more about this in a little bit. But life as an Egyptian slave was different than living free in the promised land. And so they needed a new way to order their lives. And the point of the altar was to draw near to God. When the Israelites brought their offering to the Lord, that was their way of coming near to God, which is why we have the altar here. It's a visual reminder for us to come near to God. Uh, altars back then could be made of bronze or stone. We fashioned ours after an altar that they found in Israel in a place called Beersheba. Uh, the book of Leviticus, it's strange because it's ancient. It's from 3,000 years ago on the other side of the world in a different culture. And so it's going to be strange to us. And if there are people around 3,000 years from now and they study us, they will think the things we do are strange. It's just the nature of the distance in time. Um, it's less about sacrifices and rules and more about God's mercy. There are a lot of sacrifice rules in there um, and laws in there, but God is giving them a new order, a better way to live, and it's an order based upon God's mercy. And the first three offerings are voluntary they are voluntary. When we think of ancient offerings to God, we often think that this was something God mandated, and that's not true for all of them. The first three, the two we read about last week and the one we're going to study this morning, um, they are all optional. Now, God gives them instructions on how to do the offering, but if and when they do them, at least these first three, is up to them. Now, I want to revisit this whole idea of God reordering their lives. Um, you see, we all have a way in which we order our lives. What do we value? What matters? How do we arrange our lives, both as individuals and as a culture? Um, things like hard work and resourcefulness and ingenuity and self-reliance, these are all things that are a part of our order. 
And as slaves in Egypt, there was an order to the Israelites' lives. First of all, as slaves, their value was based upon what they could accomplish. Slaves in Egypt really aren't viewed as people. Their value is based upon what they can get done, and the more they can get done, the more valuable they are. Um, the Egyptian gods were all about power and appeasement. Uh, natural disasters were common in Egypt, and so Egypt thought that the disasters um, were the gods showing their power and that they needed to be appeased. If a virus were to hit Egypt in that day, they would assume the gods were angry and they needed to do something to make them happy. And Egypt goes out of their way to make you feel small. Uh, just look at some of these pictures. Um, the first one is of the pyramids. And the pyramids are great and they're grand, but look at the people in this picture. Look at those camels and the people. On them. Look how small the people are. Um, you have uh, the pyramids and the sphinx. And on the left-hand side, look at how small the people are compared to the sphinx, compared to the pyramid. There is a, there's a temple uh, in Egypt. And look at how big the entrance to the temple is. Look at the people and how tiny they are. Or the statue that you see in Egypt. And look at how tiny the person is in front of that statue. Egypt reminded you that compared to Egypt, you are small both in stature and significance. Compared to the grand um, empire of Egypt, you are not much. Uh, and slavery takes the joy out of life when your life is all about work and you don't get to enjoy any of the fruit of your labor. Well, that gets pretty old pretty fast. And it sucks the joy of life right out of you. And so God delivers the Israelites out of Egypt, out of that order, and he wants to give them a new way of living. And God says, look, I have freed you. And so these first three offerings are voluntary. You are free. You do not have to do them. Here is a new way of ordering your life. And just a quick review, week one, we looked at the burnt offering, Ola, which basically the offering was all about God is pleased with you. That's number one. Number two, the grain offering, the Minha. God is the source of joy and gratitude. God is saying, I am not like the Egyptian gods. I am not a God who's all about power and appeasement. And when we think of God, we are often like the Egyptian order. We've done something wrong, and so we have to prove ourselves. Uh, we need to clean up our lives and show God that we are worthy. You know, we don't want God to be angry with us, so we're really careful in what we do. And yes, there are things that God tells the Israelites to stop doing and start doing, but that's not where God begins. And that's really important for us, because that's where we begin. Okay, tell me what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do. That's not where God begins. Um, at the beginning of the service, I asked you to focus on the fact that God was pleased with you, to focus on this, God being the source of our joy and gratitude, and I'm going to guess, if you're like me, that was really, really hard. That is not something that comes naturally to us. It's a foreign concept to think that God is pleased with you. Um, that God is the source of our joy and gratitude. Well, that's where God 
begins. It's how he wanted the Israelites to order their lives, and it's, a, it's how he wants us to order our lives because Jesus has set us free. God is pleased with you. God is a source of our joy and gratitude. And this morning, we're going to look at the third way in which God asks us to order our lives. Our scripture reader is Tim Yanay. So Tim, if you can make your way into the podium. If you are able, please stand and face the center of the room. We read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is to be central in our lives. And we stand because we believe this is the word of God. And so, Tim, whenever you're ready, please read from Leviticus chapter 3 and chapter 7. If you offer an animal from the flock as a fellowship offering to the Lord, you are to offer a male or female without defect. If you offer a lamb, you are to present it before the Lord, lay your hand on its head, and slaughter it in front of the tent of meeting. Then Aaron's son shall splash its blood against the sides of the altar. From the fellowship offering, you are to bring a food offering to the Lord. It's fat, the entire fat tail cut off close to the backbone, the internal organs and all the fat that is connected to them, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins, and the long lobe of the liver, which you will remove with the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering presented to the Lord. And Leviticus chapter 7. The meat of their fellowship offering of thanksgiving must be eaten on the day it is offered. They must leave none of it until morning. If, however, their offering is the result of a vow or is a freewill offering, the sacrifice shall be eaten on the day they offer it. But anything left over may be eaten on the next day. Any meat of the sacrifice left over till the third day must be burned up. Tim, thank you very much. You may be seated. Uh, when, my, when my kids were in elementary school, um, one thing that us as parents could do on our kids' birthdays is we could show up at school and eat lunch with our kids if we were able to do that. And so you could come and you could eat the school food, or you could come and bring your own food and eat that with your child. Um, and so when it came time for me to do this, I chose to bring my own food uh, to eat. I actually, we, we picked McDonald's is what we brought. Um, and now when I did this, we could have eaten either in the classroom by ourselves or you could eat in the lunchroom with all the other kids. And the first time that I ever did this with my oldest, um, I really didn't think it through. Um, and we ate in the lunchroom. Uh, so as the kids ate their school lunches, my son and I ate McDonald's in front of them. Um, and the kids, they were kind of staring at us because we had McDonald's and they didn't. And it got really, really uncomfortable. Now, it would have been tempting to have taunt them. That would have been, that was something that could have come through our minds. You know, we could have done something like, you know, we got McDonald's, we got McDonald's. You're eating corn and chicken bake. We got Big Macs and chocolate shakes. We got McDonald's. We got McDonald's. My kid's vice principal was watching, so we decided not to do that. Um, but honestly, I felt really guilty. Um, and so did my son, and it just kind of ruined the whole experience for me. We should have just stayed in the classroom. Uh, that meal should have just been between me and my son. And eating together... It really is a relational experience. Think about it. When we were kids in school, not just anyone can eat, could eat at our lunch table. Uh, weddings. 
Not just anyone can show up to the dinner reception. Uh, anniversary dinners, I surely hope you don't invite just anyone to your anniversary dinner, okay? There is an important relational dynamic to meals. And when someone invites you to eat with them, that is a really big deal relationally. It's true today, it was true in the ancient world. The third offering, it's an offering that is about eating with God. It's the fellowship offering. The Hebrew word for fellowship offering is shalomim. From the word, a word that many of you have probably heard of, shalom. If you look in your, turn to your Bibles in Leviticus chapter 3 and go down to verse 6 where it says, if you offer an animal from the flock as a fellowship offering to the Lord, that word for fellowship offering is shalomim. Uh, if you go down to verse 9, from the fellowship offering, you are to bring a food offering to the Lord. That word fellowship offering, that's shalomim, uh, comes from the word shalom. Shalom is often translated as peace. It's an offering of peace. But in this case, the fellowship offering, it's not an offering of peace that you make to get peace. That's not what this is. The fellowship offering is an offering you made because you had peace. In the ancient world, if you made some kind of peace treaty, after you made the treaty, you would sit down with the people you made the treaty with and you would have a meal together with them because of the peace you had just made. And so the fellowship offering, the shalomim, it was an offering of peace, of a peace that had already been made, and now we're going to sit down and have a meal together to recognize it. And so, um, again, at the, in the offering here, let me grab my Bible so I can need that. Um, in this offering, there was eating to be done. It was a shared meal. It was a shared meal where one God eats, if you go back in chapter 3 and you look at verse 9, um, where it says, from the fellowship offering, you are to bring a food offering to the Lord. And then if you skip down to verse 11, the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering presented to the Lord. So it's a shared meal where God eats, but it's also a shared meal where you eat. If you turn to chapter 7, and look at the verses that Tim read where it says, the meat of their fellowship offering of thanksgiving must be eaten on the day it is offered. They must leave none of it till morning. If, however, their offering is a result of a vow or a free will offering, um, the sacrifice shall be eaten on the day they offer it. But anything left over may be eaten on the next day. Um, so you eat some, God eats some. And then if you are still in chapter 7 in your Bibles, just kind of skip down to verse 31, uh, you will see that the priests eat some. Let's see, verse 31, where it says, The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast belongs to Aaron and his sons. You are to give the right thigh of your fellowship offerings to the priest as a contribution. The son of Aaron who offers the blood and the fat of the fellowship offering shall have the right thigh as his share. And so it's a shared meal where God eats, you eat, and the priests eat. So when you bring your offering of a lamb, um, I do not have a lamb. I brought Chick-fil-A. 
I hope that's all right. Um, and so in the shared meal, God eats. That would get burned. Um, I eat. This is my piece here. This is the priest's portion. I'll just put it down here. They can eat that whenever they want, I guess. Okay, and so I have a piece. I made a mistake in the first service and ate a whole piece. It took me like five minutes to finish it. So I'm taking a small piece. So God eats. I eat. The priests eat. I'm going to finish eating here in a second. It's a shared meal. And in the ancient world, eating with the gods was a high, high honor. And not just anyone could do it in the ancient world. And so what God is establishing in this offering is a radically different concept of how God wants his people to relate to him. He wants the kind of relationship where you sit down and you have a meal with him. So God says, hey, if you would like to eat together, here's what you do. And he gives them instructions for the fellowship offering. You see, God wants to celebrate with us. God wants to celebrate with us. Shalom, peace. But shalom means so much more than peace. It means wholeness. God has made us whole. God works with all of our shortcomings and mistakes and failures, and he makes us whole. And God wants to celebrate with you. And God has repaired our relationship with him. You do not have to get your life in order to have a relationship with God. God has repaired our relationship for us and with us. And God wants to celebrate that with you. And God wants to share a meal with you. Sharing a meal had great relational significance, and it still does. And so God wants to share a meal with you. God wants to celebrate with you. And if you think about the life of Jesus, Jesus and the fellowship offering, there's this great connection uh, between those two, between Jesus and that offering. Uh, first of all, Jesus was called the Lamb of God. And if you remember in the fellowship offering, the portion of the scripture we read this morning, you could offer a lamb. It's in verses 7 and 8. And Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And Jesus' body is broken so that we may be healed. The lamb in the passage was to be slaughtered. And at the Last Supper, Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. The fellowship offering was celebrating that which was healed. And at the Last Supper, Jesus tells them, I am going to be broken for you. So let's eat together. And in his post-resurrection greeting, Jesus said often, peace be with you. 
Um, fellowship offering, shalomim, shalom, peace. After Jesus is resurrected, he appears before his frightened disciples. And it says in John chapter 20, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I believe that if Jesus was physically present in this room today, with all of our anxiety we have today, he would say, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Those aren't just words. If Jesus says it's going to be okay, then it's going to be okay, regardless of what happens. Peace be with you. In Leviticus, God was establishing a new order, and this is a new order that was not, that's not just for the Israelites 3,000 years ago. It's a new order for us today. You see, we live in a world where we operate by, it's all about what we can do. We live in a world where it feels like we're always trying to prove ourselves. We're never satisfied. We live in a world uh, that sometimes makes us feel small and alone. God's order isn't like our order. It's foreign to us. And it begins with, God is pleased with you, followed by joy and gratitude, which leads us to eating with God because our relationship is with God is significant both to us, but it's also significant to God. And I know if you're like me, many of you are thinking, well, wait a minute, what about repentance? We're supposed to repent. And what about doing what is right before God? We're supposed to do that. And that's absolutely true. That's where most of us begin. We will get there starting next week, but that's not where God begins. The foundation of our relationship with God is not what we do. It is what God does. It is what Jesus did for us on the cross. That is the foundation of our relationship with God. And if that isn't our foundation, I don't think we can do the rest. I just don't. I think that's why a lot of us struggle. Because we start with getting our lives right. And we forget about this very vital foundation. God is pleased with us. God is our source of joy and gratitude. And God wants the kind of relationship with us where we eat together. Please pray with me. And Lord, we do come before you. And Lord, we are in one sense really grateful for everything you've done for us, from giving us the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat, to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our salvation. But Lord, give us the real sense that before we do a single thing, you have been pursuing a relationship with us 
our entire lives. And Lord, in our hearts, give us that real sense of being pleased with us, of joy. And Lord, help us to pursue a relationship with you, not because we have to, not because of obligation or fear, but Lord, because your love for us draws us to you. And it's in the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face upon you and give you peace. Amen.